invite you to take a Bible and turn uh, again, as we did last week, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, if you'd like to take one of the Bibles there from the pews. When I was a senior in high school, my youth pastor at my home church uh, and I would meet on Wednesday evenings, and we decided to memorize Scripture together. Uh, I'm not talking one verse a week. We decided to memorize a chapter of Scripture every week. We, we uh, had great intent. We didn't last very long. But we did, that first week, memorize this chapter, John chapter 1. And although I could not recite the entire chapter to you today, uh, I have spent the most of the time recalling to my mind through the years the opening verses, which I want us to focus on this morning as we look at the divinity of Christ. Last week we looked at this passage and the fact that Jesus was human, Uh, Now I want us to see how the passage emphasizes that Jesus was divine. Hear God's word, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was the light, life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. If you're not familiar with this, that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That ends the reading of God's holy word. A word is an expression when it says, in the beginning was the word. If you think about how how just a very few words can express so much. Say you meet a complete stranger, and this person says to you, I just moved to the United States uh, from London. Or the person says, I grew up in a Muslim family. Or the person said, I have a younger brother who died a month ago. I mean, in one sentence, a whole lot of meaning is communicated. Words express thoughts. What we have here is the word of God. God has revealed himself through his word. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. One person said, if you want to know what God has to say, you have to see who Jesus is. So let's look for just a few moments at some of the things said about here, here about the divinity of Christ, the fact that he was God. Once again, to understand who Jesus is, you have to go back. And John takes us way back. He uses the opening words from the first words of the Bible. In the beginning was the word. He's quoting, though, the first three words from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth from Genesis 1. For you to understand who Jesus is, you have to go back much further than a manger in Bethlehem. You have to go back further than the kings of Israel like David and others, back to Moses and further back to Abraham. You have to go back before Adam and Eve. You have to go back before creation. 
That's where John 1, 1 takes us, that in the beginning was the Word. There never was a time when the Word was not. Everything you see around you had a beginning point. Everything in this room, all the people had a beginning point. There was a time when this building and everything in it, all the materials did not exist. There was a time Macon did not exist. There was a time the United States did not exist. There was a time you did not exist. There never was a time the Son of God did not exist. He did not have a beginning point, a point of existence like you and I have. You can go to your birth certificate and see the day you were born. You have a social security number uh, that was unique to you after your birth. Jesus was before he was ever conceived in the womb of Mary. Now, he was in a pre-incarnate state. He had not yet been funneled, you might say, into a human body. Also, Jesus said about this in John chapter 6, he said, I came down from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, I can't say that. I'm from Gadsden, Alabama. Jesus told even his enemies, I came down from heaven, talking about his pre-existent state. He took upon himself human flesh and blood, the supernatural entered the historical. Verse 2 tells us something unique also. He was with God in the beginning, and that is that he coexisted with the Father. John is saying here as he writes this that Christ is a separate person within the Godhead. Now, terminology about the Trinity is, uh, needs to be precise. It's easy to get confused. Uh, I had a friend in college once tell me, he said, I don't think God wants us to believe anything about him that we can't understand. Well, I wasn't on my toes at the time, but I should have said, well, let's start with God himself. How can he be three and one at the same time? You don't find the word Trinity, the Trinity, in the Bible. We find the teaching of the Trinity and the existence of the Trinity in the Bible, but we don't find that term. Now, that's a term that we use to describe that God is one God, one being in three persons, not three gods, not three expressions of God, not as though he forms himself into the Son at one moment and then forms himself into the Holy Spirit at another. No, one being with three persons, and we call that, we call that the Trinity, the Godhead. And the text is saying that the Word was God. It means in all respects... God the Son was fully God. It means that everything that can be said about the Father, God the Father, can be said about God the Son. Is the Father in control of all things? Is he sovereign? So is the Son. Is the Father know-all? So does the Son. So in Jesus is found all glory and wisdom and power and strength and might and goodness and truth. Well, where did an intelligent man like John get such an idea? Well, it came from Jesus himself, from hearing what he said and seeing what he did. And when we look at the Bible, we find Jesus using several references to himself. We call these the I am statements. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth and the life. These are references to God himself from the Old Testament in many cases. And yet he used those to refer to himself that the Son is co-equal with the Father. Now, his, those opposed to him, the religious leaders of his day, knew exactly what he was saying. They understood the implications. They were considered blasphemous things to say. Later in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, 
we have a place in the scriptures where the religious leaders of the people had been challenging Jesus, everything he said. The tension was very, very thick. And they challenged his statement that he said Abraham had rejoiced to see his day and had be glad in it. And they responded in John 8, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? That would be like me talking as though I uh, knew the Apostle Paul, as though he was uh, a friend of mine and that he had met me. And you would say, you're not, well, I am over 50 years old. You're not even 60 years old, Chip. How can you talk like that? That's what they said to him. You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Because Abraham had lived 2,000 years before. And he replied, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And at that point, everything hit the fan. Because they knew what Jesus was saying. When he used that name for himself, I am, it made them so upset because that was the name that God had given himself to tell Moses to tell the people that God had sent him to release them from bondage in Egypt. We find that in the book of Exodus chapter 3 when it said, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell this people, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's the name that Jesus used for himself, took for himself, there with these religious leaders. And they understood it, and they were so angry, they wanted to kill him on the spot. So John had heard Jesus say such things about himself as he writes this. He tells us also in verse 3 that Jesus was the agent in the creation of the world. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So everything owes its existence to this word. At the, his birth, Joseph and Mary had been created through him. The disciples who followed him had been created through him. Uh, the religious leaders who opposed him had been created through him. The, the Roman soldiers who arrested him and later crucified him had been created through him. The crowds that shouted for his crucifixion had been created through him. So today, all world leaders, presidents, dictators media leaders, sports figures, all were created through him and by him. You and I, everyone here was created through him and by him. You know what that means? It means that you and I depend on him for every aspect of our existence, whether we realize it or not, because we're, we were created through him and by him. He tells us in verse 5 that Jesus is the life and light of men. Life is a key term in John's gospel. It means abundant life, eternal life. And light is a symbol of God's presence and of his favor. We find that especially through the Bible, but in the Old Testament when it's God's people, the Jews, were wandering in the wilderness, he would supply a, a pillar of fire at night to lead them to supply light. It's a, it's a sign, it's a symbol of God's direction and his guidance. It's a source of illumination. Now, light scatters all darkness. It's the nature of light to penetrate all darkness. I mentioned at the first service that just imagine what it would take to make this room right now completely dark, not only turning off all the electric lights, but then trying to cover all the windows with some kind of material, some dark material that would keep all light from coming in. 
But even if we could cover the, the windows and leave one small spot in one window, it would light up the whole room, at least to some degree. It is the nature of light to penetrate darkness. And here, Jesus himself is referred to as the light that came into the world. Well, what's the darkness? Ephesians 5 says, But you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We're, we're the darkness. It's not just institutional things. It's not just injustice in the world. It's us. How did this happen? We here talk about the, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that, well, on a, on a good note, God created us. He made us all, even as he made our ancient parents, Adam and Eve. He created them not only with the senses that we have to see and to, to hear and to smell and taste and so forth, but they had a spiritual sense. They had a relationship with him. They literally walked and talked with God uh, on a way that we can only imagine. And he gave them a prohibition. He said, don't eat of this certain tree. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, they disobeyed. They ate of it. But they didn't drop dead physically, but they died spiritually. And so shame entered the world. They were at odds with one another. They were at odds with God. They died spiritually. God, even at that time, though, promised that he would send a redeemer later. You and I are born into the world where they ended up. We are born spiritually dead, it says in Ephesians, as I just read. We are in spiritual darkness as we come into this world. We may be very fine, upstanding people that are well-liked and we care for people and be very compassionate. But because we have all broken God's law in some fashion or form, either in our thoughts or our words or our actions, we then also have that penalty on us that the wages of sin is death. So we are born in spiritual darkness. But thankfully, God, in his love and mercy, sent his son, Jesus so he came as light into the world. He came, God the Son became a man. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never violated God's law. And then he allowed himself to be arrested and crucified on a Roman cross. What happened on the cross was he became our substitute. Here it's Chip with my sin. And God says, Chip, I want to have life with you, but there's this problem, and that's your disobedience to me. There's your sin. I must punish that, and the punishment is death. Well, here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, with no sin of his own. So on the cross, God transferred. He put my sin on Jesus and punished him in my place. He died spiritually. He died physically. He died in the fullest sense of the word. Three days later, he rose from the grave over a period of 40 days. He appeared to hundreds of people physically, bodily. It was no hallucination seen only by a few. And the last command he gave to his disciples was to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples, to tell people what God had done. So we are in spiritual darkness. I spent much of my childhood and into my teenage years in spiritual darkness. I heard the message of Christ probably a hundred times, but it did not make sense to me. I thought I could earn my way to heaven by being a good person, in my, according to my own rules. And then one night, one Friday night, a person explained to me in very simple terms, elementary terms, why Jesus died on the cross. He said what I just said to you a moment ago. And he said, what happened on that cross was God put our sin on him and punished him in my place. And it's like the, the light came on. And what John, that was one of the reasons I wanted to memorize John chapter 1, that the light of the gospel, the good news of Christ, now it made sense. It had never made sense to me before. Though I understood the facts, it had not made sense. I say, oh, now, now I understand why he, he died. Now I understand what they mean Jesus died for our sins. And I put my faith and my trust in that. He gave forgiveness of sins, and we become new creatures. That's the light. So to come to know Christ is to move from darkness 
from the domain of darkness, as the Bible says, to the kingdom of light. Now, I want to leave you with one last thought, and that's verse 5. And that is, the light is shining in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This isn't a grammar lesson, but the important word there is shine. It's present tense, ongoing. The light is shining in the darkness. It's shining now in the darkness. And even as we see, even in our own culture, much darkness around us, and some days it seems to get darker than others, the power of the gospel overcomes it. Light will always penetrate into the darkness. If you're not in Christ, you can be a Ph.D., but you're in darkness. You can be an honor student. You can be a very bright person, a very successful person in whatever profession or field or endeavor you're involved in, but you can be in darkness. You can be a preacher in the Presbyterian church and be in darkness. You can be a Sunday school teacher and be in darkness. It says the darkness does not comprehend it. The darkness has not overcome it. But the light is shining, and it's still shining as it was then, and never has the darkness been able to obliterate it. Some think that it doesn't shine. Larry King ended his uh, illustrious career of 53 years this past Thursday night. This past Thursday night was the end of his 25-year career on television with CNN. But between radio and other broadcasting, it goes back 53 years. You know, during that time, he interviewed more than 50,000 people. 50,000 he interviewed. Uh, many believe, including myself, that Larry King was the best at what he did. And that was he truly interviewed people. People after the interviews would say, I had no intention of talking. And yet he somehow another sitting across from him. Here's what he did differently than most other interviewers on TV. He asked questions and then he let the person talk. And typically today, a question will be asked, and before the person even begins to get an answer out, the interviewer then answers the question as they want to hear it. Larry King was different. Years ago, I read where he was asked by, in an own interview with him, uh, the interviewer asked Larry King, who is the one person of all of history you would like to interview? And he said, Jesus Christ. And then the person said, well, what is the one question you would like to ask him? And Larry King said, I would like to ask him if he indeed was virgin-born. Because if he was, that would define history for me. Well, the question was already answered, Larry. Uh, and he has defined history for us. So this was no ordinary man. This was a divine man, God in the flesh. God is saying, come out of the darkness through the light of the gospel. But the light is still shining. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that you, in your providence, have allowed us to be privileged to hear even one more time. May our trust be in Christ and in him only. We are surrounded by things that want our confidence, whether it's science or academics or pleasure or materialism or cynicism. Uh, or sarcasm toward others. We pray that you might confront us with the clarity and the truth of the gospel, that our trust might be in that and that only. In his name we pray. Amen.